welcome to the Buzzcast, the official podcast of the Stinger Bee League, an unofficial but officially fun Killer Queen Black League. Hello, everybody. We are your hosts. My name is Kyle. Hi, I am Blake. Well, here we are. Another regular season over, and my, what a season it was, huh? I don't want to spoil anything, so why don't you just go straight into this episode's overview and we can just dive into it. Love to, Kyle. So we're going to start with a look back at Week 9's games. Uh, It was another exciting week, Kyle. We saw one streak broken and another completed. Uh, We're going to do a little preview of the upcoming playoffs. And for this week's topic, we're going to look back at the season and try to understand what happened. For example, how did Shaka, when the drones fell, come to dominate the way they did? Where did it all go wrong for the flail snails? What does it all mean for next season? And finally, how embarrassed is Adam, who built these teams based on stats, hoping for parity? You know, I'm pretty sure Adam is not going to be embarrassed at all. I think he's proud of these teams, and I'm pretty sure he's going to find a statistical explanation for why things worked out the way they did, which is actually going to be part of what we're going to do today. I'm sure everybody is on the edge of their seats to hear about last week's games. Well, I think you're probably right. The first bout saw a matchup between the number three and four seeds, Sting and the Police versus the Flail Snails. Kyle, why don't you tell us about what happened in this first matchup? Well, this was one of those streaks, and you guessed it, this was the match that everyone's been waiting for, the one where the Flail Snails finally broke through in the final week of the regular season, and they bumped their slump, winning two sets to one in a tough matchup with Sting and the Police. So let me talk about some of these sets. So in the first set, we saw Sting pull out a narrow win over the Flail Snails, and that included two economic victories. The last game of the set saw frantic action on the split juniper, with the Flail Snails desperately pushing the snail, while Sting popped in berry after berry into the hole. With only three berries left to go, the Flail Snails lost their defensive presence in Sting's hive, allowing Dylan to sneak in the set-winning berry. So not the best start for the Flail Snails, so obviously they had to come back. The second set saw the Flail Snails battling back with their own win in five games, with Kyle McStravick posting 3,107 snail miles for that set, which is a season high for the league, eclipsing Victoria's previous high of 2,657. Now, dis- Wow. Yeah, right? Right? Uh, despite those snail miles, Kyle somehow couldn't single-handedly secure any snail wins. They were all they were all military wins. He came perilously, perilously close on several occasions, only to have Blake and Ben steal his thunder for military wins in games one, two, and three. But the real excitement, I think, came in the third and final set. So in this set, Sting opened up game one with Blake making an audible call to change it up, quote unquote, on the tally fields. Which, changing it up, Blake, apparently by that you meant lure Ben into a snail bait situation, despite his team totally controlling the snail, and having Adam and Antony absolutely sandwich Ben on a squeeze play. That was pretty epic. (laughs) Um, But the flail snails were simply not to be denied. I'm sorry, Blake. Uh, Victor berry baited you in your team's own hive with a mace uh, to take game two. 
Gary lived up to his reputation as the laser master in game three, which included a beautiful snail bait and switch play with Kyle McStravick, uh, as well as the game winning shot on you. And then with victory in sight, the flail snails did not flinch in game four, which saw you like go down to your last queen early. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I have to once again, <laughs> give you such a deconstruction on your on your own performance and uh uh but this i i'm just just reporting the facts man <laughs> i'm sorry it's all right you know i've, I've got two different hats I've, I've got my my podcast hat on right now. <laughs> all right. Hat is, my crown is set aside so with victory in sight the flail snails did not flinch in game four and that's when we saw you blake go down to your last queen early uh which unfortunately meant that you were trying to stay out of trouble that starved your workers of gates and that eventually allowed ben to chase you into victor's swinging flail now if i had to pick an mvp of the match despite kyle mcstravick's very impressive work on the snail i would have to award this one to victor who racked up 13 queen kills and more importantly five game-winning strikes, including the one that sealed the deal and gave the Flail Snails their redemption. 13 queen kills. Oh my gosh. Yep. Very, very good, Victor. That was the first matchup, Blake. What did you see happen in the second? It was a good one. It was a matchup between the one and two seeds going into the playoffs. Shock out when the drones fell versus Cash Honey Billionaires. This is, of course, potentially a preview of the championship matchup tomorrow night. That's the uh, playoff night. Uh, interestingly, we saw uh, Crystal, who was out sick, uh, was subbed in for by Brendan, one of our newer players. Um, and he was, in fact, a difference maker. So this, uh, in this one, it, it totally took only two matches for Shaka to complete the sweep of the season. So this was the streak that was completed. Shaka uh, made history go 9-0 to, to sweep the regular season. But how did it go down? Well, I'm glad you asked. In the first match, uh, in the first game of that match, we saw a total gate domination by Shaka. Uh, Brendan was big on the snail, but in the end, Queen Kyle uh, swept in for the kill to close that one off. Game two saw Cash Honey Billionaires go for berries. Meanwhile, Queen Victoria, of course, was on the snail. Uh, big gate domination by Shaka again, but they couldn't hold off that econ win by the Cash Honey Billionaires. Game three, there was again that gate domination by Shaka. As we uh, will see later when we talk about stats, uh, it's something that Kyle is known for as a queen. There was a push for Econ by the Cash Honey Billionaires, but it was not up to their previous standards. And we saw Victoria take a snail win. Game four, Shaka just did what they do best. They were controlling the military game. They were controlling the gates. They took that military win through an incredible hat trick by Stefan. So match one went three to one for Shaka. Match two... Tim was down early in the first game. Kyle went down almost immediately after. The military win by Shaka 
uh, was notable for a rare That's Amore Yeah, so for those who don't know, that's when the the win against the queen is uh, silhouetted by the, the moon. Game two was essentially a solo military win by Tim, uh, just dragging his team, kicking and screaming along as he just just went after the, the opposing team's queen. Game three uh, was the, more of the same. Tim Tim just putting cash honey billionaires on his back and trying to carry that team. It's a hard, hard way to go, but... It Tim really is. is. is Tim is a, a queen of the caliber that he can do that on occasion. Then game four something, saw something really incredible and something quite rare. We saw a econ win by Shaka. This is far outside of what I would call their comfort zone as as a uh, snailitary focused team and snail you know lo- snail bait loving team so it was good it was i think that they perhaps saw what was going on with tim and said hey let's just kind of change the narrative here it was it was good and in the end it worked out for them game five was a hard-fought military win by shaka and that was that was it for the night that was a 3-2 win by shaka to close out a historic season so overall it was more of the same from Shaka. So the big question going into the playoffs is, can anyone stop them? I guess we won't have to wait too long to find out. All right. Well, thank you for that, Blake. So we know from last week that the positions in the standings weren't actually going to change. But just as a reminder, how do those final standings look? In fourth place, we have the Flail Snails. In third place, Sting and the Police. Just above them in second, the Cash Honey Billionaires. And at the top of the pile, Shaka, when the drones fell. All right. Well, thank you, Blake. Well, just because the regular season ends doesn't mean that the matchups won't continue next week, eh? Certainly not, Kyle. It is playoff time. Here's how that's going to work. The Season 3 playoffs see the return of the popular ladder format from Season 2. Every team has a shot but it's a longer shot the lower down you are in the standings. The first match will be the third and fourth seeds, Sting and the Police versus Flail Sales. The winner of that match will go on to play Cash Honey Billionaires, the second seed, with the winner of that facing Shaka for the title. That final match will be best of five sets instead of the usual best of three. Boy, I'm kind of feeling like the pressure's on for Shaka. You know, we kind of just have to wait while the team that we're going to face is wetting their chops, you know, like building up that momentum to come into the final. And we have to take on a team with momentum coming into us. That's, that's intimidating. Well, you'll have time for a few cocktails to calm your nerves. That's a great idea. Mixed drinks. Okay. So, now, Blake, that aside, I understand that there is actually an exciting first for the Stinger B-League playoffs. Oh boy, you bet your britches there is. These playoffs are actually going to be live-streamed on Twitch by a group called the QP Mini Bosses for all the world to see. I, for one, cannot wait to watch it after and hear what they have to say about the play of our league. How can our listeners tune into this? Just go to the QP Mini Bosses Twitch channel. We'll post a link, a uh, link to it in the episode notes. You can also just Google QP Mini Bosses and you will find it. 
I realized that we've said that before in episode five, when we said we'd post a link to the Helix Temple, very tossing record. But in all fairness, we didn't realize that what we'd seen was a video file uploaded to Discord and not a streaming link. This time, we can actually post it, and we totally will. Well, Blake, like any good sports league podcast, the end of a regular season leads to the natural discussion of that look back at the storylines that define the season. And it will be no different for us here. Not in the slightest. We are nothing if not conformists. We are sheep. <laughs> Indeed we are. And so to start... Ah! <laughs> um, thanks. <laughs> All right. Anyways, uh, the storylines the storylines abounded this season, didn't they? But I would say none so much as the two streaks that we alluded to earlier. One being the undefeated streak of Shaka when the drones fell, and the other, the near winless streak of the flail snails that they just pulled out of in that last week. And so I, I want us Blake to really break down these streaks with some stats to understand them better, and not, and not just the streaks, but but all the storylines this season. So let's start with Shaka Blake. How did they come to have such a dominating season, Kyle? We see it come together in a few places, actually, when you when you start to look. The first one was was uh, defined by Stefan's incredible soldier season. Oh, yeah. Uh, this guy, he had a 1.5 KDR, that's kill-death ratio, as a worker. Nearly 50% higher than second place Victor at uh, 0.99. Utterly dominating as a soldier. I'll tell you, as a queen on another team... I am terrified of this guy. I bet. Yeah, so look at his queen soldier and drone kills per game. He was fifth, third, and fifth, either just behind or right in the mix with the league's four primary queens. And that's saying something, because you know the queens are lethal weapons. And the second one that's worth note is Victoria's snail dedication. Uh, we're probably starting to sound like broken records here, but it really <laughs> is. it really is above and beyond. So we've all seen her dominant snail pace. Uh, <clears throat> she currently sits at 596 snail miles per minute, nearly double Kyle McStravick's 309, who is in second. But if there's a more telling stat, it's actually her deaths per minute as a worker. Dead last in the league at 4.31. I, I almost have a hard time believing this, but, you know, this, the numbers don't lie. No. So that was more than double her league-leading teammates, Stefan and Courtney, at 1.92 and 1.95, respectively. So why is her death per minute a story? Because it illustrates how effectively Victoria selflessly, relentlessly sacrificed herself over and over and over again to get on that snail and keep it moving. Just laser focus. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, Blake, I have to jump in here to put Victoria's performance into perspective. Okay, so she was the leader in snail miles, but dead last in deaths per minute. So, so what? Did her constant suicidal sprints to the snail actually yield useful results, right? Like that's, that's the question we have to address. Was it an effective strategy? So to figure this out, I looked at everyone's ratio of snail miles per minute to deaths per minute, which basically says for every minute of play, a player moves this many snail miles before dying. And as I'm sure you've guessed already, Victoria simply blew everybody out of the water in that category. She had a ratio of 138 snail miles, which is 75% higher than second place Kyle McStravick's 79. 
75% higher. So what does that show exactly? Not necessarily that Victoria was twice the snail rider that Kyle McStravick was. After all, Kyle spent 21% of his time as, as a soldier versus Victoria's 0.6% time spent as a, as a soldier, right? So he was doing other things, not just going for the snail. But what that stat really does show is the complete, utter dedication to the snail cause. And it shows that she was doing it effectively in the process. Not to be forgotten, Kyle's KDR at 3.81. That's 15% higher than second place Blake's 3.29. Not the 50% higher level of dominance like Stefan's in the worker category. But 15% is nothing to sneeze at. Kyle also led the league's queens with 60.4 gate control, a modest 3.6 over myself. And what this shows was that Kyle kept the gates open for his team and closed for his opponents more often than not. So valuable. I like to think that it means that I was more often an asset to my team and not a liability. Yeah, it certainly does say that. And Courtney, obviously, was an important factor, too. Uh, she was neck and neck with Stefan in deaths per minute, third overall in worker KDR, and only just a hair behind Victor, just uh, 2% difference. Shaka didn't go for Econ that often, but when they were, it was Courtney leading Shaka with 73 berries, good for sixth overall in the league. But Stefan's stats are amazing. Look at his queen soldier and drone kills per game. He was absolutely queen worthy. I want to see this guy in wearing the crown sometime soon. I, I think so. I, I think it's inevitable. It seems to be the next logical step in his progression. I kind of feel like he's just about exhausted everything he can do as a soldier, and he is ready to step it up and take on the mantle of queen next season. All right, let's turn our attention now to the other streak, that being that of flail snails. We all know how Shaka typically used a snailitary approach, but true to their name, so did the flail snails, who collectively finished second in the league with 23,801 miles, nearly 40% more than the third place Sting. So they were really pushing that snail, uh, and not just by a trivial amount. So similar strategy to Shaka, but obviously, Blake, very different results. So how did the flail snails struggle so much despite having a strategy apparently similar to that of Shaka, who, you know, went undefeated in the season? Okay, let's look at some of the underlying fundamentals to begin with. Okay. First of all, credit where credit's due, uh, the flail snails fought hard militarily, leading the league actually in total kills with 943, ahead of only Shaka's 922. That's impressive. Yeah. Uh, Victor, as mentioned, was second in league KDR, but he also led the league with kills as a soldier with 225, 13% more than second place Stefan. Oh. Anytime you're, you're wielding a sword and you're doing better than Stefan, that's worth talking about. For sure. And right behind Stefan in third place was Gary with 159, probably many of those with the laser gun. And Kyle McStravick, of course, was second in the league with total snail miles with 17,426, nearly double that of third place Dylan in that category. These guys were just piling up the numbers. It just somehow didn't come together. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's really odd. You know, clearly 
they were they were a better team then than it showed in the win category. So if that's the case, Blake, where where did the floor fall out from under them? Well, let's dig a little deeper into some more fundamentals. They unfortunately had the highest team queen deaths per game at 1.95, just a hair ahead of Sting's 1.92. Sorry, team, but 24% higher than Shaka's league best 1.57. Okay. Um, to his credit, Ben's queen deaths per game was league's second best, best, but the flail snails switched it up on queen occasionally, and it did cost them. So it seems. Also, the highest soldier deaths per minute at 3.17 soldier DPM, the flail snail soldiers were dying 50% more often than third place sting. So what does that, what does that tell us, Blake? How do we take those numbers and... How do we translate that into the results that we saw? Maybe not quite the right balance of soldier percentage and snail miles per life. Okay. So the next story, I think, was really Cash Honey Billionaires and their modest success with a very economic-focused strategy. And I think everyone knows that the billionaires attempted econ more than anybody else in the league. They they ended up finishing second overall, and they did that with 24% of their game wins coming from the Barry, which was double that of Sting, which, I'm sorry, Blake, I'm sure must actually sting for you a bit, knowing how fond you are of, uh, of econ. But that 24% is comparable to Shaka's 29% snail victories. So, in other words, like Shaka, they mostly had military wins, but they had a strong finish in another category as well, not just military. So, with that level of success, uh, comparable to that of Shaka's, was there any reason, Blake, that it didn't work out better for them overall? Okay, Kyle, let's look at some of their numbers. Okay. As a team, they definitely were the berry leaders, throwing 4.12 berries per game collectively, nearly 36% more than second place Sting's 3.03. Mike was a berry force to be reckoned with. That's cheese farts, for those of you who don't know him. His 158 total berries coming in at 44% more than second place Anthony. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Patrick was right behind those two in third place with 96. Like Courtney for Shaka, Patrick played a lot of roles, wore a lot of hats. He was also sixth in total snail miles and was middle of the pack for total kills. Crystal was also that multifaceted players. Fifth in the league in snail miles, middle of the pack in berries, and fourth overall in dunks per game. Now, on the flip side, they were well behind all other teams of military with 690 total kills, nearly 25% less than third place Sting. Why? Well, if they wanted to soldier up more often, it wasn't easy. Tim's average gate control of 38.3 put him well behind the other primary queens. You gotta step it up a bit here, Tim. Hard to be on military when you can't access gates. Yet, his kills per game of 5.87 was third in the league, and not that far behind myself or even my co-host Kyle. So clearly, Tim was devoting himself to supporting his workers militarily, but if their team strategy included a soldier component, it wasn't easy for them to achieve. They were suffering on the gates. So that really showed up in their team's net KDR at 0.84, they were last in the league, and it means they were collectively dying more often than they were killing. And while you don't have to be killing constantly to win in Killer Queen Black, if you're dying more often than you're killing, then you're having a hard time getting things going. 
Also, when you look at their collective kills per minute at 9.33, they were last in the league, 25% in fact, less than Shaka. Now, why is that important when your team is focused on econ? Well, it's more about what the other teams are doing. When everyone else is doing a lot more killing than you are, you're going to lose some games to military that they simply weren't. And in matchups as close as the ones we've seen, a loss here or there can really manifest itself in a team's position in the standings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Blake. So, okay, with that in mind, what is your final word on the billionaires? Why didn't they do better than they did? I believe, personally, it's a matter of practice. Okay. Econ is the strat that requires the most training to win with. If the players keep at it, then I really feel like they have a chance of changing the league meta for Stinger B League. And I, I, I'm very genuine about that. I think that Econ deserves a lot more credit than many people in this league give it. And if you see people put in that work, the work required to get those, to get the, the dunk shots lined up, yeah, you, the whole league could be flipped on its head. So, so big props to you, Cash Honey Billionaire workers. Keep at it. All right. So those are three teams. I would be remiss if we didn't give a bit of attention to to every team. So is there, Blake, also a story for Sting and the police here? I, I would say arguably they were the most dynamic team in the league. They had excellent queen and worker stats, but they still finished third out of four. So where do you think it went sideways for them? Ah, so obviously a subject close to my heart. Of course. For this team. <laughs> yep. So uh, I did some soul searching, uh, and I would say it's the following. Uh, partly a refusal to follow the meta. And I will take the blame for this as the queen and, and essentially the leader of the team. Sorry, what, what, what do you mean by refusal to follow the meta? What I mean is that we are playing in a military-dominated league. Yep. And it's just, I, I generally wanted to buck that trend with, with econ wins and with snail wins. Yep. And perhaps made some, some choices uh, to direct my team towards those victory conditions when it was really not the optimal play. Okay. Uh, just perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I had an agenda. So there you go. Uh, there was also partly a lack of focus. Um, we did change our strategy a number of times during the season. We also had some early season uh, difficulty focusing in as a team, uh, building that chemistry. We're there now, and I think you, uh, we may surprise some people tomorrow in the playoffs. But those, those were the things that we struggled with during the season. Now, looking at the stats, it seems to me that it's also partly a case of that, that, that lack of focus it's something that you can see in the numbers is what I'm trying to say. Sting and its individual players show very well, actually, near the top of the leaderboard in many statistical categories. Absolutely. But without really dominating any single one. Okay. Uh, which good teams often do. You can see a case to be made for Sting as an econ team, if you want. Yet we won very few econ games. Uh, even more so with Snail. Shockingly few Snail victories. Despite having plenty of miles... Uh, and so, but again, like just about no wins with that path. So you really could describe us fairly as jacks of all trades, masters of none. Maybe it'll just look differently in the playoffs. Maybe it's that's where it's all going to come back together for you. 
Well, I hope so. And, and we'll, we'll find out tomorrow, but we may have some surprises up our sleeves. <laughs> I'll look forward to seeing those, or maybe I should say I'm not looking forward to seeing those. <laughs> All right. So we've covered, uh, we've covered the individual stories for the teams. Blake, would you say from a league perspective that there's an overall league story here too? Yeah, I absolutely would. And I think here is where we get, we come around the horn to talk about Adam and the stats that we built this league with. Because I feel like the story of Stinger B League Season 3 is the continued development of the players. When I look back at how we built the teams going into the season in search of Perry, and I try and think about why this this sought-after parody didn't materialize. I think it's because what we had when we sat down to make these teams was a snapshot. We had a snapshot of where the players were after two seasons or one season if they were newer. And players have continued to develop since that time through practice, through the games, uh, through new new relationships with new teammates. So these players continue to evolve. It's it's a very tough thing to pin down. Of course, you know our data set continues to grow through through more play. But but to me, that is the story of the league. It's it's just the story of of humans continuing to do what humans do, which is uh, <laughs> box statistical statistical trends and and be outliers. I see what you're saying. So if we hadn't all grown as players, if we had simply remained our static season two selves, then this probably would have been a very equal footing league. I would say that's a a really big factor in it. I mean, there's a couple other things, uh, things that are equally as intangible, unfortunately, for, for those of us tasked with building teams. Uh, such as as you know interplayer chemistry and you know lives outside of the game but it's a big one it's a big one the fact that that people continue to grow and improve as players and 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 try you know go after new avenues and stuff so okay so that's the league story are there are there any other stories out there are there player stories are there queen stories are there worker stories well i would say that there are 16 stories in other words, there are as many worker stories and as many clean stories as there are players. That's really sweet. It, it's true. It's true. I mean, we, we all have our narratives, and, and they're all fascinating. But I think we can nail down a few highlights. Okay. Stefan was a beast. This guy, with laser focus on one and only one objective, really showed us how it's done. He was first in the league in queen kills per game and fourth in the league in uh, soldier kills per game behind only pure queen players. So, and not even all the queen players. Mm-hmm. He was, he, yeah, this guy, he's he's an assassin. Just the total, total beast. And I really hope he takes a shot at playing queen next season because the way this guy plays, it's, 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 it's something to behold. Uh, Dylan is another highlight for me. Okay. As a rookie, she has really stepped up. Her berry game is on par with many of the more established players. And that's actually thanks to dedication and practice. I've I've caught her just straight up practicing by herself, doing berries. Uh, she's a great teammate. Uh, she's the kind that really wants to to learn. Like she she wants to learn the game 
and she wants to contribute in any way she can. Just a true team player. This is this is after all a team game. Absolutely. And that is something that is doesn't always show in the numbers, but yeah, really great. Now speaking of berries, uh, I got to give a shout out to Crystal, who's hugely stepped up for Swish game. I did I did confirm this by looking at the stats, but I, I noticed it first just as a queen playing on teams against her. Just just her her. Shooting those three-pointers, just beautiful. Very nice, Crystal. But I'm going to have to say the Barry Boy of the Year is Mike, a.k.a. Cheese Farts. Just a major factor in Cash Honey Billionaire's econ swing. Just quietly putting in the work. You absolutely love to see it. And you wouldn't even know. Like, just kind of flying under the radar, but you see, then you see the stats, and it's like, holy cow, this guy's just, he's just banging in those berries. Yeah, it really came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like he really pivoted as a player. I don't think that last... Se- I, I'd have to look back at the stats, but I don't remember him last season being that guy. Like I think he was more of a mill, like a soldier player. So Yeah, I think that's what Adam was uh, saying a few episodes ago, that you know he spent most of the second season on military, and he's really shifted, clearly shifted, to be more dynamic than that this season. You'd love to see it. So what do you what do you think is Mike our season three uh, contender for snail miles perhaps season four Se- yeah perhaps season four sorry okay okay well we'll have to wait and see well all right Blake we're running out of time here uh, but I'd say we've done a pretty solid job wrapping up what I think was a really solid season and it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out in the playoffs so with that in mind. Let's look ahead to next week. We've got something very exciting next week. We are going to have an interview with somebody from B Game League. That's that's the big leagues. That's the other Killer Queen Black League. Uh, they're nationwide. They've got some huge number of teams. I don't want to get this wrong right now, but I think it's like 50, 25. A large number of teams. Uh, and they're they're you know much more spread out than us too. It's very cool. We're going to get Sclover on here. He should be a familiar name to uh, anyone listening to this podcast. While he's not officially part of Stinger B League, he's he's been acting as essentially an emissary between the two leagues. We love the guy, uh, and we love to hear what he's going to have to say about B-Game League and Killer Queen Black in general. So please tune in next week. Not only that, but we will also go over the results of the playoffs just a reminder to go to the QP mini-bosses mini uh, tomorrow night. Uh, what, t- what time is that at again? That is at 8 p.m. Pacific. 8 p.m. Pacific, Monday, July 19th. All right. Well, on that note, I want to say thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, and I'm sure Blake wants to say it too. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. All right. Please join us again for the next episode of The Buzzcast. The Buzzcast is a non-commercial podcast and has no official affiliation with Killer Queen Black, its publishers, distributors, or developers. The Buzzcast theme song is Beasting by the band Low Doses and is used under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.